Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Hello. How's it going? It's going great now. Good to be back. Super bummed we missed last week, but that was 100% me. Long story short, I got pretty sick. Uh, A very random sickness, just an extremely bad sore throat that lasted about 72 hours. The actual like sore throat aspect of it, you know, like scratchy on fire, you know, pain, blah, blah. But I completely lost my voice up until yesterday was the first day where I was pretty much back to normal. And I'm still technically not 100% because... A lot of times I do silly voices with my students and uh, even with Jessica, and I can't hit high notes still. I'm a little, still a little off. I think by tomorrow I'll be 100%. But yeah, last week there was no way I could record because I teach little kids all day. And so Gavin, who's very understanding, was like, well, do you want to try to record? I was like, well, no, because I have to save my voice because, A, it was already completely gone. Then I'd have to go in and teach the kids for like five hours, and then it would just be even more gone. And I left a couple voice messages for Gavin, and they they sounded like this. Uh, yeah, I, I can attest. Uh, yeah. AJ did sound like he was uh, in an action movie, uh, and he's supposed to be a burnt-out antihero. But, yeah. Oh, I like yeah. that. I like yeah. that. That's a better explanation. And I really like your sweater. It's like that old school gym sweater. And I'm it always is. trying I'm always trying to find one like that. Can never get it right. It's either too small or the quality's not good. Or and the funny part is sometimes when you find that style, it's like a hundred bucks now. It's like yeah. old school crew cut sweater, a hundred dollars. I was like, no, it should be like ten dollars. It's supposed to be cheap <laughs> and like lounge type wear, but Yeah. Retro's in, retro's in, but uh, yeah. But you're feel, so, you're okay. feeling better. Um, I feel a hundred percent now. Just uh, my voice is the only thing that's like ninety percent, and uh, I finally got back into Muay Thai last night. So all Great. last week. Uh, and as a note, I'm always still working out and training, even if I'm sick. And I know some people might be like, "Oh, that's bad for you." No, I'm a big believer in trying to sweat it out. And if I am truly like deathly ill, then obviously I'm going to take time off. But if it's just something like a sore throat, no, I'm, I'm going to keep training. So I was still every day, you know, cardio, running, jump rope, shadow boxing, push-ups, pull-ups, kettlebells, like all my stuff at home. You know, I was still training really hard every day. Uh, and then I was able to go back to hot yoga because uh, the main problem with trying to get back to Muay Thai was even once the cold symptoms went away after three days <clears throat> was the really heavy breathing. I was afraid I wouldn't be able to, it would just destroy my throat even more. So yeah, yeah I was still working out all last week, but now physically I'm definitely hundred percent. Got back into Muay Thai last night, just had class this morning, did uh, six rounds of sparring, which was a, a, a little difficult just from, literally you take one week off from Muay Thai, as I always joke, like doesn't matter what kind of training you're doing. If you take a week off from the pads and sparring, your first day or two back, it's going to be like, what the heck? It's, it's crazy. Yeah. You're like, it shouldn't matter. I just took off a week, but it does make a difference. And coming off the cold obviously affected it probably more than just taking the, that week off. So Absolutely. Uh, but I was still able to get through six rounds of uh, medium-level sparring, so that's, that's pretty good after, after that's good. A, a whole class of training too. So I'm feeling great. I love being back to normal. As I say, you're always very appreciative of when you're back to 100% because when you're feeling uh, like doo-doo, or not the greatest, and you can't train 100%, it makes you kind of sad, but it also makes you appreciate your training more because sometimes we get burned out. We're like, oh, I have to go to the gym as opposed to, oh, yay, I get to go to the gym because mm-hmm. like I, I think I was maybe mentioning to you before, we should 
feel blessed that we get to work out every day. Not everybody can. And I don't mean that from the aspect of, oh, they're too busy because it's very rare that someone's too busy that they can't work out or, you know, I could give you one hour workouts you can do at home with like almost no equipment. You can get in amazing shape. Uh, it's hard work, but I'm talking about more so people may that have like physical disabilities that don't allow them to, right? And uh, ailments like, uh, you know, sickness, like permanently. So we should always be very blessed that we have the opportunity to work out and be in shape and be in control of our bodies. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so what's new with you? I've, I've been hogging the spotlight. Oh, well, I, you know, as, as we were texting uh, last night, we were, my team made it to the finals again. Three seasons, three finals. Uh, we've won one of those. Sadly, last night was not one of those. Uh, I was feeling a little down after, after the game. Um, they took the lead. We came back. We took the lead. Uh, they got a final shot off. They ran the same play twice. Uh, they cut the lead in half by doing a, going to the guy I was marking. Then he passes it back and... Uh, gets a shot off past our keeper. Uh, then the very next play, instead of passing back, the guy turns on me as his first touch. So he doesn't even control. He turns, kicks and shoots. And I felt it's, I'm not used to that. I'll be honest. Okay. I, I've missed shots. I've missed passes. I'm not used to someone getting off a shot with that tight of a space. Uh uh, he got a few shots off on me, but like most of them were like chipped. You know, I got, I got my foot on it. Uh, this one I did as well. The keeper got his fingertips on it, but he's just a phenomenal player. Um, but like I said, I was upset after the game, but then I was thinking about the movie we're talking about today. I've been watching it yesterday, watched it again today. And you know, it's about sometimes, uh, you know, it, it comes down to the martial way, martial arts way. And, you know, it's nice to have an opponent that, we can challenge ourselves. I can dribble around in my home on my own. I can dribble at the beach on my own. But there's nothing like having an opponent that takes you to your limit and is honestly half, I'd say like four centimeters better because he beat me by about that much space. And to know that that's how close I was to being able to stop that shot and we could have won the game without going to penalty kicks uh, makes me realize there's a little more training I can do, a little more work I can do on, on opponents pulling away from me. And uh, so I look forward to next season. But it's a large in part thanks to our, our mindset, the dojo mindset and, and the film we're talking about. I love it. I love it. That's great. Definitely comparable, relatable to fighting. Of course, I've mentioned my personal experiences that relate to that in the past as well. Uh, yeah. So moving into martial arts movie news now. I have been very busy recently, as have you. It's the end of, anybody who works in education, it's like the end of the semester, getting stuff done, uh, me getting stuff ready for my upcoming uh, job I'm starting uh, at Fresno City College. But yeah, my, my current teaching job, just you know, getting all that stuff wrapped up. And I know you've been really busy with your end of year stuff. So martial arts movie news, uh, haven't really been, I mean, I keep up, but I, I haven't been writing it down and stuff uh, to share. But I will say, we both went and saw an absolutely phenomenal film last week not together uh we went separately and my mind was just blown uh because i had heard how good it was but i kept thinking how could it be that good with this type of film it is and <clears throat> i was up in the bay area uh, for a family christmas party jessica and i which was wonderful i got to see all my cousins and everybody and then we stopped in uh dublin california uh where the bart station like the the i guess most south bart station is where a lot of uh 
Central Valley commuters go and they have a big IMAX theater. And although we didn't get to see it on the IMAX, we did get to see it on the 4DX, which is where the screen goes to the side walls. And so, uh, not the whole movie, but like a good majority. So you have the screen in front of you and the screen on your peripherals on the side. <laughs> it's really trippy at first. And at first it's actually disruptive, but by the time you get used to it, it's very cool. But we both, you, myself, Jessica, uh, went and watched Godzilla Minus One, which, no exaggeration, one of the best movies. I'm gonna go on a limb and say one of the best films I've watched uh, in the last 20 years or so, in 21st century. It was a phenomenal film. Like, wouldn't you agree? Uh, I would say it's, I would say I, I'm, I'm I'm not going to disagree. I have a friend who who does listen to the podcast who would disagree. It perhaps perhaps the melodrama that we might be used to in watching uh, films from this region of the world might be a little much for some people to handle. For me, it was the perfect balance. I love the film, uh, and there wasn't just. I, I mean, Godzilla, you know, obviously runs runs deep in my. Uh, in my comfort movie zone, uh, I've I've gone and seen him in theaters randomly when uh, gone and seen him like he's a celebrity. But yeah, I've, I've gone and seen him. Uh, <laughs> oh, your autograph! <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've gone and seen him uh, throughout the years. I remember uh, there was one time Godzilla was uh, fighting against King Ghidra, close to my sister's name, uh, Deidre, oh, and I thought, like oh, I thought, oh yeah. you know, I'm a, I was a young kid. That was my first time watching Godzilla. Then there was another time where, I, where we were. Uh, on an island uh, up the coast, taking a like a, our, a tour of samurai museums in Onomichi, I believe. Uh, we came down to the town where the train station was. We were supposed to head back to Hiroshima. I kind of requested strongly uh, to my mother, hey, let's stay and watch the Godzilla movie. So Godzilla always has a soft, soft spot in my heart, big time. Uh, I'll watch every single version, even the ones that I am disappointed with. I'll still somewhat enjoy, but this one I loved. Yeah, and we won't go too far down the rabbit hole, but we will say that, as I was telling you, it's it's crazy that for me, one of the most touching, moving, and triumphant stories of the human spirit happened to be in a kaiju monster movie. It's, yes. it's almost like it's a beautiful story of redemption and the power of love and the human spirit hidden within a monster movie and the great part is it's old school godzilla but with modern day special effects mm -hmm. and but like they made it on such a tight budget and you would never know uh and it's just that perfect blend of old school like which you might laugh at godzilla but you don't hear because it's it, it it works. It's like we still get the close ups. And Jessica, uh, who went with me and absolutely loved it, and yeah. she was crying throughout the whole movie because it's just so moving. Uh, she she thought how cool it was. She's like, I love that we got to see Godzilla up close and that he was much more like the old school, like yes. you know, Gojiro, you know, like that kind of style. And it was just the perfect blend, the story. And I'm not gonna lie, and I, I'll say it right here on the podcast now. I have only cried during a few movies in my entire life. I've gotten very teary. I've gotten teary-eyed multiple times, right? But even still, that takes a lot. This was one of the first movies where I was ever, I was at teary-eye and I thought, I'm not going to do it, not going to do it. And then there's this <laughs> moment and the tears started coming down my face. I uh -huh. wasn't like, <laughs> but I was legit tears coming down my face because that's how moved I was by the finale. I don't want to give any spoilers or what it was that exact moment. 
uh, I'll tell you afterwards, and maybe you know. But yeah, there's, it, there's we one. may have had that. We may have had the same allergic reaction. Yes, to allergic that reaction scene. to that particular scene where you're just like, oh my gosh! And it, it's just such an incredible film. I will be getting it on Blu-ray as soon as it comes out. And for those people hesitant to go watch it. Go watch it in theaters while you can. Trust me. And if you're thinking like I did, how could a Godzilla movie be that good and keep me entertained the whole time? If Because <clears throat> here's the deal. I love the old school Godzilla movies. Jess, can I watch the original like last year, the very first one? Mm-hmm. You know, I'll put it there on HBO Max. I'll put them on. But And I am a fan, but I am by no means a super fan like my like martial arts films or anything else. I just enjoy them. Yeah. Uh, but this – and so that's that's, you know, my – review of the film in a nutshell you have to go see it whether you're a fan absolutely of the or not no Anywho, question about it no question uh two i have two things for martial arts movie news we already talked about one more shot coming out it is i think it's coming out in early 2024 uh last last year i guess a year and a half ago one shot played the Lemille in Santa Monica in North North Hollywood. I'm hoping this one plays as well, and then maybe we can arrange it so we can watch it together. Uh, and then friend of the podcast, Sean Kanan's Way of the Cobra, is uh-huh. now an audiobook. Woo! And he's and he, the author and also actor producer, is uh, reading it. So oh. that's that's always an added bonus. It's always like it. I always prefer books when it's read in the, by the author. Uh, for some reason, just feel a little more. They they know the intonations and everything. So, right. agreed, agreed. Right on. Excellent news. Okay, so let's get right into it today. We are talking about the 2013 Japanese martial arts film Bushido Man, directed by Takanori Tsujimoto and starring Yoshiyuki Yamaguchi, amongst others. Uh, as well as fight choreography by Kensuke Sonomura, who uh, has choreographed some previous films we have talked about on the podcast, which we will get to. But anyways, this one I kind of randomly picked on a whim. It's funny because Gavin even asked me, wait, haven't we done this before? (laughs) And I had to go back and double check. And I'm still 99% sure we haven't. Maybe we did, but mostly because we've been on the edge of doing this one so many times. And yep. sometimes we we won't do a film. Like, for example, the one we were originally going to record last week. We kind of missed our window with that. So we'll do it five years from now uh, at that anniversary. Uh, but this one, it wasn't – and sometimes uh, when it comes to a film, we'll change our mind at the last second because after viewing it, we're like, eh, not really appropriate or worthy of discussion or it's close. This one was more so just we had thrown it out there a few times and we're going to do it. And then something came up that was – more relevant or topical. And we're like, oh, we got to jump on that. Mm-hmm, so this one mm-hmm. kept falling to the wayside. Uh, and if it hasn't been on either of our comfort films list yet, it totally could because... At, at this point, yes. We've watched it so many times in preparation. And, <laughs> and I will say that like some of the best comfort films, I kind of feel like the movie gets better with each viewing. Agreed. You start oh. to notice tiny little nuances and for a film that is kind of like and it's hard to explain would this be as someone that's maybe a little more aware of japanese culture and cinema from like the the mid to early 2000s to about a couple years ago there was a lot of these low budget japanese films that looked like they would be straight to video which for me unfortunately for like let's say they started around i don't know like 2008 2009 till a couple years back uh, I avoided all of them because I thought they looked kind of cheesy and low budget. 
when an act, they're like red box movies for sure. This one in particular, because I remember when mm-hmm. this one came out, I remember seeing the cover art for it. I was already living in Asia at that time, but I remember seeing the cover art for it. I think I was home visiting and I was like, oh, that looks, I thought it was an American movie. I thought, oh, that looks cheesy as hell. I'm not watching mm-hmm. that. Cause I, I mistakenly would associate it with those, remember all those really low budget MMA movies that were in yes. red box that starred yes. like actual MMA fighters with uh, and Hector Echevarria, whatever, the kickboxing champion and nothing against him, but Man, the, the little bits of those films that I watched, I was like, no, thank you. I no. tried watching one, one time, and I couldn't even finish it. But like, so uh, there was these kind of like low budget, straight to video Japanese martial arts films that are all fantastic. And I've watched a bunch of them now, like High Kick Girl, this one. And I, I kind of kicked myself in the butt for waiting so long. But uh, are I, they straight to video? Is that what they are? No, right I, I, first off, I completely agree with you about the cover the cover work and then we i think one of our japanese words a few episodes ago we did v cinema or bui cinema which ah. is straight to video straight to video uh films but it was v cinema so video cinema and, and you know it it has that elevated feel to it because it, the cinema is affiliated with it so in the 80s and 90s in particular the cover art the posters there was there was a whole industry behind like promoting the straight to video v cinema genre when we get to the 2000s it's like all of a sudden the cover art and the the marketing behind it falls off because it is from i did not see these films in the short amount of time that i was in japan in the 2000s here and there i did not see these films in in the theaters. So right. I presume that this is straight to streaming, straight to video. I can't speak specifically to this film, but it has it the best way to phrase this film is that it is it is a independent film at the highest level of artistic without artistic uh compromise, but it is also lower budget. Right, and, and the art, of, the artwork looks like it, and so I same. Well, the artwork that we get is definitely for the American uh, market. Like yes. that is what threw me off, and I don't no, know. I c- agree completely. Yeah. And th- it's also this kind of low budget, uh, independent filmmaking that was pre, pretty much like what I call the Red One era. So like the Red One camera that came out that has now allowed independent filmmakers to really make films that look like they're shot on film of that higher quality. This was still, you know, coming out of like, for example, uh, for those that don't know, I uh, majored in film at UC Santa Cruz and my emphasis was actually production, my undergrad. My master's was film studies, but undergrad was production. And we were like that last era that was still shooting on the mini tapes, like the Mm -hmm. cassette tapes. Uh, And because it was like my senior year where suddenly they were switching everything over, but we were like the last yep. class that still had to shoot on the mini DV and the tapes. Yes. Like, what the heck? Now it's, I mean, now you could, what you could shoot on your phone looks better than the cameras that we had at, uh, when I was in uh, undergrad, but still, uh, so the, these films are the same. They didn't have that uh, independent technology yet that could make them look uh, like a film like Hydra, which we've reviewed, which right looks like a real cinematic movie. Or yes, I yeah, no movies like that. So they they still, but at the same time, that lower budget quality, when done at the highest artistic uh, level and with good skill, it's got an endearing quality, right? Like it reminds me of a lot of like the Hong Kong TVB series, which I love to watch and I can get a hold of on DVD with English subtitles or you know stuff like that. It's it it's got that uh, independent or or it, it, I, it's a nostalgia factor. We talk about it all the time. Nostalgia. No, it, it, I, I, I agree completely. And it's funny because it, it, the, the era you're talking about is almost like that post beta 
uh, VHS or a beta beta tape era, which had some great quality, but you would see a lot of CTV, a lot of Japanese television, even U.S. television for a short period, like was using that those beta cameras uh, from that transition from video to digital or from film to digital. There's there's an era of beta, and I don't know if this this seems like it's post beta, but it's also uh, I don't know there. It's yes. I agree with you to cut a long statement, long statement short. Um, the artwork, uh, when it pops up on Tubi, because this is available on Tubi in the U.S., uh, makes you want to go past it, which is yeah. extremely unfortunate and a disservice to the viewer. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and this film is available on Tubi and it has been for a long time. So pretty much the, the premise is. We have our protagonist, uh, whoops, sorry, uh, who we mentioned before uh, is, oh, we didn't say his name. So technically uh, his name is Toramaru or Toramaru. Yeah, Toramaru. Toramaru, who is a martial artist who studies the cosmic way. And it begins with him returning to his sensei. He's been gone for a year because he's been traveling throughout Japan uh, and technically Okinawa to challenge other martial arts masters, learn from them, beat them, and then get their sacred scrolls that they have to give to him after he defeats them. And it's all very honorable. It's not like he's showing up and dojo busting like, I'm here to, it's very much uh, Bushido element, right? It's like, I hear, I'm here to challenge you formal, formally, uh, blah, blah, so. And the story is him relating to his sensei, him fighting these different masters. And, uh, there's also this great parallel between the fighting and food. So before every, and this is part of their style, the cosmic way. So before every battle, he has to eat a meal, which represents his opponent. And that his sensei has to guess who he's going to be fighting next. Uh, so for example, his first opponent is uh, Yuan Zheng, who is a Kung Fu expert. And so beforehand, he's eating some spicy food and then some Chinese food. And then his sensei has to say, hmm. Uh, who could it be? And then he's like, ah, Yuan Zheng, the Kung Fu master. And then uh-huh. it'll break away to the fight scene. So, uh, I mean, throughout the film, we get so many great fight scenes because he challenges the Kung Fu fighter. He challenges a uh, bow staff fighter, uh, challenges a nunchuck fighter. Technically, it's kind of a little comical sequence that doesn't last long. He challenges a blind swordsman, very Zatoichi-esque. He challenges a Yakuza knife fighter. He challenges a uh, gunfighter, Billy Dakira. Uh, and yeah. then that's pretty much the last of the actual challenge matches, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's all yes, the, there right? is. There is one where he shows up and there's the, the lady who has uh, the Shotgun gun arms. Yes. Yeah. But, but he, that's not, he doesn't have to fight her. Yeah. Right. And then the final battle, which we will talk about later. Uh, and by the way, spoiler alert, maybe maybe we won't spoil, but possible spoiler alert coming up at the end. But anyway, I uh, as we kind of said before, I didn't see this film until very recently or actually it ended up it was probably about two years ago maybe a year and a half at the least because i remember watching it on my break when Mm -hmm. i was still managing the anytime fitness in my (laughs) closet behind my office so and i talked about this before I had, on my lunch break, I, we didn't have a break room at uh-huh. Fitness. They're usually smaller style gyms. I had my office and I could easily close my door and lock it. And I could put up a sign that says on lunch break. The sign was outside <laughs> the front door. It says on lunch break. And you'd still get people that try to talk to you, whether it's members or people that want a tour. And it could be like, oh, I'm on my lunch break. And it's like, 
what? I once had a member come up and start knocking on the door, knocking on the door. I'm like, I, and I, I like this member, but I was like, I'm on my lunch break. I'm on my lunch break. And I go out there. And she's like, oh, my friend's here to see the gym. I said, oh, okay, I'm on my lunch break. And she just looks at me. She's like, well, can you give her a tour? And I'm well, like, oh, th- this- I guess, you know, and so pretty much I had to, there's a back closet behind my office, which was plenty big. It's like <laughs> a kind of smaller walk-in closet, but, and I'd go back there. It's pitch black. And set up my computer on, we had this little filing cabinet back there, and I would eat my lunch in the dark watching a movie on my laptop. So this was one of those movies. Yes. Uh, no, I, I love that story because it reminds me of the few times that we've recorded and I was sitting in my office. I put a paper up on the outside door recording in process on my window, on my door recording in process. And inevitably, we get a knock on the door. Door opens. Are you guys recording? <laughs> I think that yeah, made it into one episode. Uh, and yeah, sometimes people, it's like, come on, people, come on, come on. I know. And I, it's almost like I had three layers of it, right? Like the outside door yeah. is locked and then the outside door has the sign on it. And then you come in and then my door has the sign on it. Uh, yeah, people just, people just don't understand. But yeah, so I only saw this movie about two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And I think, I, I, I think time. and I think right after you saw it, you told me about it and I watched right. it and I will, uh, I will let you know, the first time I watched it, I watched it up to the beginning of the initial credits. Ah, <laughs> yeah, so. And uh, I was it, so it, it, upset. But I'm at the same time, I'm like, well, you know what? They did not compromise. This is my yeah. writing wrongs kind of ending. So I'm like, I love it. But wow, I didn't expect that. So we may or may not give away spoilers, but please, when the credits start rolling, don't turn off the movie because there's so much more to this gem. There's gem after gem. And it isn't even just like a, a spoiler scene or some scene for a future sequel. It's the end of the story. Um, right. So anyway. The, the, the final act takes a different. So there's kind of comical elements throughout. For example, his sensei is very over the top, uh, exaggerated style of sensei, which kind of plays into the film later. But kind of when I was doing jokingly the voice earlier. That I, it, it's they're almost inhibiting a or uh, embodying a stereotype of like the oh Japanese absolutely e- even he, even he, the mustache everything yeah, the, he, yeah like this obviously kind of cheesy fake mustache you know headband the way he talks is like this right and obviously it's all in Japanese but it, it's over the top at its best whereas yes. our protagonist plays it very straight throughout and sometimes he's actually taken aback by some of his sensei's more absurd type uh statements and he he'll be shocked like sensei you used to be an actor like uh these little sides <laughs> but the the thing i i really like about so our our main actor the one who plays toramaru is mickey koga who i can't believe hasn't done more because he is a fantastic leading man uh very stoic he's a very handsome like he's kind of strikingly like handsome good-looking leading man he's obviously in good shape we don't really see his physique that much but there is one short sequence like okay he's in good shape he's a fantastic martial artist i don't know if he's a a real-life martial artist i can only assume but most of his work has been acting credits like in action movies but not a whole lot of stunt stuff uh which is surprising but I mean, yeah, he has all the qualities to be a leading action man. And uh, I'm abs- surprised he hasn't done more. Absolutely. His, his uh, on-screen presence, his line delivery, his, uh, just, just his ability to sell the uh, various types of martial arts he takes on. Even the, the 
physical change that he undergoes from right. as he's going through the process of long hair. And then he's, he's, you know, he, he uh, becomes, you know, just the change of hairstyle and everything. He, there isn't a moment in this film when you're watching it where you're not like, this guy is an action star. Period. And the funny part, the funny part is throughout uh, the series of events, his physical appearance changes, as you say, because he has like a, a mustache goatee thing and long hair. Then, suddenly has short spiky hair, then suddenly has no mustache and goatee, then at the end has the short spiky hair, mustache, goatee, and it seems very natural, like, okay, it's happening over a year. Odds are, it's because it was a low-budget movie, mm-hmm. and they were filming it at different parts, and it suddenly, he was probably like, oh, I was in this other movie, and I had to cut my hair, or you know, mm-hmm. I had to shave off the beard, or this or that, but you don't ever think that. It just seems very natural, like it's part of his journey and so forth. Yeah, it, it's, it seems like it's a film that was probably actually very much shot in order. Uh, and hey, let's get back together. We're going to shoot again in three months when we get a little more funding or we get the, the, the location down, what have you. But the, that's, that's another nod to the, to the, I think what I love about the creative types in, in filmmaking is the creativity is not just about the storyline, but about how to make the story work and working around, uh, working around the limitations of a budget, working around the limitations of your camera. It's just, this was, for me, when I watch this film, I'm thinking this is, this is about as uh, good as you can get on the budget that they had uh, without, like I said earlier, without making any compromises. And I love the film. I mean, we will get into the, the different fight scenes throughout, but uh, what I love about it is it is it is very straightforward. It is very much is Bushido man. It's very much stays on the path of exploring Bushido. At some point, it goes into almost a, po- a post apocalyptic Yokohama, yeah, and then it goes. That's, a, that's the campier third act. Uh, yeah, and then it gets of, in. Yeah. yeah, and then it goes into like a sci-fi area with with uh, yeah. gun arms in a way, and then it comes back to to tradition. And ending simply, it's it's uh, and it's very and I love like the the balance of discovering the culture of your opponent through food. And I think there's one po- one point where he loses to an opponent, and his master's like, "Well, that's because you didn't really get to know your opponent." I, I wrote down the one quote uh, to know to know everything about your opponent, you must know their food. Uh, and he so and he, he doesn't finish the meal because he, he doesn't finish the, the yes he lives like a carrot slice on the on the plate so he has he to go like back it. and eat yeah. yeah so anyway I I went down a little path there but uh, I'll, I'll, I digress I'll let you uh, please continue oh no it's it's all great points and yeah uh, by the way you get to see a lot of great food during this film so maybe don't watch it while you're extremely hungry or maybe watch it before you're gonna go eat something awesome because mm-hmm. there is so much good food featured here in fact the Ugh. sensei even by like the third one is like saying like <laughs> yeah. oh. Uh, uh, Toramaru, you're making me so hungry. And he has his yeah. assistant actually make him a lunch because uh, all the good food. Oh, you keep teasing me. And, but, and then, uh, and then at, yeah, and then at that point he starts eating uh, takoyaki because he's yeah. in Osaka, and he's like, "What are you doing? I told you to stop. Stop making me so hungry." Yeah. So yeah. So we'll start off with the first one, as we mentioned, is the Kung Fu Master, which, and that's actually how I came across this film. Is I was on Facebook randomly, and one of the Kung Fu groups I follow posted a clip from this fight uh, 
uh, or the fight. They posted the clip and it says like Kung Fu battle, da da da, uh, you know, karate versus Kung Fu from the movie Vela Bushido Man. And I would have kept scrolling, but it, it like automatically started playing and it, it caught my eye for just long enough where I saw it, them start fighting and I was like, oh, I click it, I expand, I start playing the whole thing and I'm like, wow, this is really good. And I'm like, what movie is this? And then I see the title and I'm like, Bushido Man. I'm like, that can't be the one that I saw that really bad artwork for like 10 years ago. And sure uh -huh. enough, it was. And I was like, well, let me see if it's online. My initial suspicion was that it would be on Tubi and alas, it was. Uh, so I found it on Tubi, watched it. So yeah, this was the fight that is responsible for us discovering that movie. So, and it is a great fight. It's, we Very have much. a Kung Fu, uh, exponent fighting uh uh toramaru who's more of kind of obviously karate based uh but adapts and learns all of his opponent's styles so it starts off as kung fu but then specifically as kind of toramaru actually has the upper hand our kung fu fighter switches specifically over to mantis so in what would be northern mantis mm -hmm. not southern mantis mm -hmm. northern mantis the very like classic Jet Li style from uh uh martial arts of shaolin and then Toramaru also starts to mimic him. He, uh, he doesn't know what he's doing yet. In fact, he strikes him with the Mantis strike and the Mantis master is like taken aback. And then, but Toramaru realizes that he has the wrong amount of fingers in his Mantis stance and has to switch <laughs> it. But so it, it's great. It, it's the example of how he learns from his opponents as he's fighting them. So that's the first fight. It's an absolutely wonderful, what I would call like Kung Fu style fight scene done in a Japanese film. And it just go show, goes to show the talent of the team and the fight choreographer and the ingenuity of a lot of these films from that era that I feel a lot of us slept on because they just looked like cheesy and low budget, but really were a lot better than most of the quote unquote kung fu movies coming out of uh, what unfortunately would be maybe like there wasn't a lot coming out of Hong Kong or China at that time. Now there's a, a ton of like these uh, straight to streaming ones from China, which are hit or miss mostly miss occasionally people say some of them are pretty good i don't really have the time to sit down and watch a lot of them i really should but uh yeah i think it's a, a much better quality fight scene than probably anything coming out right now of the straight to video from that region so yeah just Absolutely. a great opening fight sequence and then we get our second one which is him fighting the bow staff uh master which this one is much more like the the bow staff guy gets the upper hand until Toramaru starts to adapt and learn his style and starts bouncing around like him. And once again, just a really great weapons fight scene. Mm -hmm. uh, then we get the nunchuck uh, master well, in Okinawa. Yeah, go ahead. And I was going to say, one thing that I really like about these scenes and the true masters, when, the, when these true warriors and, and are, are facing each other, is these are not fights to the death. And I think that is a key element for what happens at the very end, like right. the with the bow staff fighter when he finally gets the upper hand and he brings the staff down, he stops right in right in right by his head. End of match. Uh, they both they he know he know we know who the audience knows and the two fighters know who the superior or who's won the fight and therefore our protagonist Toromaru walks away with the scroll. So it that that's evident throughout the the film in every single fight that takes place throughout the film. Right. Uh, and then so after the bow staff fight, we go to Okinawa where he faces the nunchuck master, which is kind of actually more just like a uh, comical gag because uh -huh. they don't even get to fight. The nunchuck master knocks himself out on accident. So, and that's I, kind of the, the little bit of slapstick humor that it is thrown I, in. I also think it's fair uh, because I was trying to think about the types of martial arts he clearly is strong in 
when he shows up, he opens up a bag, takes out some yellow uh, Onitsuka Tiger shoes, uh, just like Bruce Lee's. He takes out uh, a yellow uh, yellow nunchaku. And so, and he smells it like it's brand new. So it's just from the store. So most likely we know that if he were fighting another nunchaku master who could face him, he's probably not going to learn the, the traits. I mean, for me, I was thinking I wouldn't necessarily have bought it. So the best thing to do is just have the guy knock himself out with his nunchucks. Well, I take a different approach simply because I, I more take it as the idea because remember, he does a little twisting himself, our protagonist, uh, mm-hmm. and he looks very competent. I look at it more so like, it would have just been a waste of his time. Like this guy actually wasn't that good. Hence okay. why he knocked himself out. But the best part is that sports bag, I actually paused it because I want to go to that <laughs> store because it said like uh, the, the different martial arts styles of gear it sold. It said like karate, shorinji tempo, uh, uh-huh. like uh, jujitsu, uh, kickboxing, kendo. I think it may have said ninjutsu, uh, you know, boxing or, or, or judo. It, it was just like, I want to go to that store. I, I love that. you. I there. love that you paused it. And perhaps... <laughs> Perhaps that whole scene is in there also for a little bit of product placement to get ah. a little bit of funding to fund the rest of the movie. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. So, yeah, we have that fight scene. And then uh, the master's even like, well, that was anticlimactic. <laughs> and then uh, we go to the sword fight sequence, which mm. is very much probably the most, uh, how would you put it, deep sequence of all the fight scenes and so yes. forth. And it's because the exchange between these two masters is not so just not so much just we fight oh you get the upper hand i've learned your style now i beat you no it's like he has to really step into the shoes of the blind swordsman at first he does and or he thinks he does by just blindfolding himself and the master's like don't give me cheap imitations whatever yes and, that, and I, I, actually, I wrote the quote down enough of your shallow cleverness right there it is. And he, he, yeah, he, he puts on a blindfold. He, uh, he charges our blind swordsman. Our blind swordsman starts to remove his sword, hits him in the stomach with the, with the handle, and then uh, slices the, the blindfold off and says, enough of your shallowness. I just, I, I just, or your, uh, enough of your shallow cleverness. And, yeah. it's, and it's fantastic because it's like this whole movie is about, this whole character is about digging deeper. And that wasn't enough to. Uh, it was a cheap let, imitation of digging yeah. deep. It's like, oh, you want? You're not really committing to this. That's you. You're doing what you think would be it, like something you saw in a movie. So instead, what does he have to do? He slices his actual eyelids across with his own sword, and the master even says, "Are you crazy?" And from that point, that's when he's truly. It's almost like the bushido. I'm willing to die. I'm willing to, you know, permanently. Mm-hmm. potentially permanently damage myself in order to become the best martial artist possible, which obviously he doesn't, he's able to see afterwards. But, uh, and then at that point he's able to be victorious because it's not a shallow, uh, gimmick. It is he w- authentic. And as his master said, when they cut back to that conversation, his master essentially said, you were able to distract your, you were able to eliminate all distractions and just focus. It's a, it's a, it's, and you know, uh, you know, Asia talks about slicing the eyes and all of that. A, a lot of this film, it's very honestly PG, PG 13 when it comes to the violence. You're not like seeing gorish like violence not of eye all. slicing or anything like that. So just, just, uh, for our, for our viewers who, who might want, uh, their children to maybe watch this film, I think this is a, a film that is entirely watchable as I well, recall. 
the finale yes, is, that, is a very yeah. campy, gory, as I said, the last act, whereas the first two acts, it's, it's you know, as we said, there's some kind of slapstickish, uh, like what you'd say, Asian kind of yeah. humor thrown in with the, especially the sensei being over the top, but it, it still works perfectly fine. In fact, it feels like that straight to video or TV series. But then the final act takes a much kind of campier, uh, uh, course which we'll get to here in a second including the finale which does have some excessive gore but it is very over the top intentionally not like a horror movie gore it is like a comical snl sketch it's and also like there i mean we'll we'll talk about that fight later but they're like when you see someone punch the abdomen He's up against a tree. The tree behind him. There's an explosion behind the tree. There you see yeah. tree uh, particles shoot out from the tree. Right, right. So, so the the next fight scene is when he now arrives in Yokohama. So this is where it takes this turn to suddenly like, <laughs> oh, and by the way, Yokohama has been ravished by killer earthquakes and now has become a post-apocalyptic wasteland with uh, like you know toxic air quality and no restrictions on guns and swords and it's like uh-huh. wait what? And I feel like they almost throw threw that in there just to use some what were probably new uh, special effects that. Kind of like we're probably available to independent filmmakers for the first time. Like, hey, yes. there's this new program yes. where you can do special effects of like an airplane flying across or a toxic <laughs> wasteland in the background. Because it looks it looks solid. It, it looks solid. Like big it, it, budget. And it doesn't look like, oh, that's super fake. But it, it looks solid. So and if I had to guess that's 100% what it is. Like, hey, we now have the technology to do kind of uh, – mid-budget sci-fi special effects let's just throw in the last act that yokohama is now a post-apocalyptic wasteland so he shows up in yokohama there's like tank same thing there's tanks riding around and it's probably just a showcase for this you know special effects they had handy and so this is where he challenges the knife fighting yakuza who's played by uh, masanori mimoto who is also the star of hydra Mm -hmm. and uh one of the assassins in baby assassins so we talked about him before uh, and our fight choreographer of this film, uh, Kensuke Sonomura, was also the fight choreographer for Hydra and the fight choreographer for Baby Assassins, the second Baby Assassins film. Uh, and it's funny because I almost okay. So we've talked about how much we love Hydra, and it's like, but I feel like his his work in here is almost maybe a little more consistent with being traditional martial arts fights. Whereas in Hydra and Baby Assassins, he's really going for that hyper realistic feel and pulls it off you know, very well, we've talked about it, but here uh, we're getting much more of the traditional choreography style, but still hard hitting and fast paced. And it's almost a little more digestible for the basic viewer and slightly more consistent because even some of the stuff that that hyperkinetic back and forth freestyle sparring stuff that we see in Hydra and Baby Assassins although some of it is phenomenal others I feel like is lacking a bit of authenticity when you don't have yes. real fighters doing it or you know what I mean it's, it's super hard to pull off like really I mean they, they do in Hydra in certain parts and just like Donnie Yen was able to in uh, Killzone aka Sapo Long and also in Flashpoint but mm-hmm. it's very rare uh, and so in this film, we don't, this is the one fight where we're getting like a preview of what was to come in Hydra. So there is a little bit of that element in this fight, but still a little more traditional in its choreography style. No, it's interesting. We're actually getting a very unique resume uh, from this actor, uh, Mia. I'm sorry, bear with me. Uh, Masanori Mimoto? 
Thank you. Masanori Mimoto. Yeah. We're getting a very interesting uh, resume from him in this type of fight scene, in the fight scenes we're seeing in Hydra, in the fight scenes we're seeing in Baby Assassins, and even the fight scenes that we see from him in uh, Bad City. He's he's almost... He, it's almost like he doesn't have a brand. His brand is... Uh, fitting to whatever the character is. And that's what I like about this one, because this one is very, uh, feels very grounded, very authentic. Uh, not that the others aren't authentic, but each, each style that he uses or he's engaged in, uh, in the films that we watch with him, he's very much doing something a little different, uh, which is not what you would normally get from, from a main from a main star that's trying to protect their brand and maybe grow that brand a little bit. He's always, he's always a little different on screen. And I really like this version that we get from him. Yeah. Excellent. And so the, their fight scene is on a beach. It's funny. They, he starts off uh, our protagonist, uh, uh, Toramaru starts off wearing a gas mask, right? Cause it's like toxic air. And then, uh, the Yakuza is like, take that off and you'll be fine for just a little while. And he's like, oh, okay. So they have a really great hard hitting knife fight sequence, which then segues into just hand to hand because the knives leave. And it's just and it, great use of jump cuts as opposed to a continuity within the action. And it's nice because it's just the final part. For example, big punch cuts to a completely different angle, a completely different sequence where the other guy's big punching him, right? And it's like this use of jump cuts that accentuates the hard hitting action. And still that element of, Toramaru learning from the opponent because he finishes him off with something that he learned from him doing to him earlier in the fight. So yes. uh, of, of the initial like challenge matches, this is the last of the actual fight scenes because the Billy the Kid one is a little bit different. The Billy the Kid's a shooter and he has to learn how to get past his guns, mm -hmm. which has some kind of over-the-top comical gags to it as well. Uh, and the Billy the Kid character like throws in random English with his Japanese. It for, yes, it's it's it, it works for the movie. Like you're like okay, this is in line. Uh, and then as <laughs> Gavin mentioned, he then goes to meet the the arm blast gun girl. Who then he doesn't have to fight her. She just gives him her arm blast guns. And then so by this point, he's defeated all these masters. He's gotten all the scrolls. He brings them back to his sensei, and so he's told all the stories all the food-related ones. Uh, and then so his sensei's like, well, let's go out and test these guns, the arm guns. So they go out in the forest to start testing them. And yes, this is where the spoiler is gonna come in, people. So if you want, pause this episode, go watch the movie. But really, you're okay. I mean, this film, it's not like a Alfred Hitchcock thriller where you're, the, the, the twist is everything of the film. But anywho, so they go out to the forest, they start testing the guns. And then suddenly his sensei starts like shooting at him. And he's like, mm -hmm. sensei, what that? Like he thinks it's just an accident at first, but he keeps doing it. And then he's, he notices a sudden change in his sensei. Then he starts thinking back to all the fight scenes and what all of them said to him, which wasn't initially uh, shown to us, but like these little asides post fights that they said to him that were hinting at maybe his master isn't that good of a guy if he wants him to go collect all these scrolls. Until mm -hmm. finally he puts it all together that his master was after the scrolls to sell them because they're worth a lot of money. And now uh, Toramaru is in his way. So uh, the, the little assistant girl that, you know, is the assistant to the sensei Denko, who uh, it appears that maybe there's a relationship between Toramaru and Denko that they don't ever really clarify. But she comes to see the sensei and the sensei kills her by ripping off her arm 
from the hand. And then, so technically like the lower half of the arm is hanging to the upper half of the arm by like veins and the arm has been ripped completely from her socket. Uh, and he pretty much clarifies that, yes, I, you know, I'm evil. Uh, I am going to sell the scrolls. He takes off his mustache uh, to show that like, haha, I have been, you know, a fake sensei to you this whole time, just using you. And he, his demeanor completely changes. He has this maniacal laugh. And then him and Toramaru have to fight. And, at, you know, it starts off with the gun arms. Then they mm-hmm. both run out of ammo. So then it becomes a traditional fight, which is very good. It's kind of a combination of, like, a lot of the, the, the stuff from earlier in the movie. But it starts off, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. And eventually the sensei gets the upper hand and defeats him. And he falls to the ground, what looks like dead. And then that's when those first credits start rolling. And the credits start rolling and you're like... That's how they're going to end the movie. But I remember even the first time I saw it, I was like, no, 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 no. They're, yeah, this is a gimmick. <laughs> but it goes for quite a while. It goes it, for longer than you'd expect. And then suddenly, Toramaru's hand grabs the credits and like rips them away and he gets up. And he gets like his second wind. And that's mm-hmm. when he starts using all the styles he learned to defeat his sensei. Uh, culminating with him striking his sensei so hard he spins his head 180 degrees. So keep in mind, the sensei was using Genko's arm as nunchucks at one point, blocking the bullets, which is super campy and graphic. That's what I was talking about, but it looks like something that'd be in an SNL sketch. So for anybody that maybe, like maybe if James wants to have his son watch it or something, it is, it's very cheesy and it's supposed to be. But anywho, so he he finishes off his sensei with, I can't remember whether it's a punch or a kick. It's the one fight scene I didn't get to rewatch. Uh, so so the sensei, he finishes off the sensei the same way the sensei finished him off, but then he adds in one more right. strike. Is it, is it a punch or a kick? That's what I can't remember. Uh, I feel like it. he spins around. I feel like it has to be a kick yeah, because, because the sensei so did the punches to the gut, then the head, and that's where we see the tree explode yeah. behind. And then he does a kick and the head goes the complete... Does a does a Linda Blair except not three sixty uh, only one eighty. So like an owl turns at one eighty and yes. falls down to the ground face down body up and so but yeah face point, down chest up yeah chest up there we go and so <laughs> at, at this point you know Toramaru is distraught and then out of nowhere uh, Denko walks up and he's like Denko like you're alive. And then she's and then, got her arm still attached. And it's like, what's going on? And then, and she, then you think that she's going to run to uh, Toromaru, but instead she runs to the master. And you're yeah. like, why would she run to the master? He did this terrible thing to her. And, of course, then she shows that she has her arm. It was just yeah, a... It was, and she, it was a test. It was a final test because the sensei was worried that uh, Toromaru wasn't able to... The one thing he still couldn't do was pretty much embrace the anger and utilize that when he truly had to, to become victorious. So the sense Mar- of sac- yes. oh, So what, you have the quote? Oh no, so he, there are two quotes that come out. In martial arts, constant training is the key, not mere technique. And uh, mercilessness that comes from anger is sometimes necessary, but if we're always only training and not going the whole way, how will we know? So that's why the master had to do all these things, even change himself visually to elicit anger from Toramaru so that Toramaru could finally attain that, uh, attain his true mastery. 
Right. And that's the whole thing about, it's not about the different styles, it's about the training. That's why you yes. sent them on this journey to collect the scrolls. Ends up at the end, the scrolls are all fake. There's nothing on them. So it's They're almost all like all these masters were in on it too, because it, it doesn't matter the style of Toramaru, it's about the training. He had to train hard, he had to adapt and learn. And so it's not about, oh, I learned this style and this style, it's just training. Training is the key. So anyways, like they, they you know, turn the sensei over and he's talking and they explain their whole plan. It shows him in, uh, 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 Denko making the fake arm, like painting it. It shows, it's funny because the master's super fake mustache was actually real originally. He shaves it off, which is it, obviously a, a fake one. Then he puts a fake one on that he bought. An even more fake one, see, yeah. Which is even more fake. And, and so, uh, and as he mentioned earlier, he used to be an actor and he's like, obviously I still have my acting skills. So the sensei sacrifices his own life so Toramaru can become the ultimate martial artist. And, and so, yeah. And, and, and let's be clear about this. While the sensei's head is 180 degrees spun around, he is still conversing from the ground. Yeah. And then his student tries to lift him. No, 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 please don't move me. Please don't move yeah. me. It's, it's very funny. It's, it's endearing. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, can't, it's over the top campy, yet has these true Bushido elements in it. Like you're learning a real valuable lesson while hearing it from a dude who has his head spun all the way around. Yeah. And what I like about this film is it's not trying to hammer us over the head with this is the Bushido code. We are going to be very serious about this. It is a very serious film when it comes to the fight sequences, when it comes to Toramaru's growth. Uh, but they also use comedic elements, which I love. Like we see this in horror films. We see this in action comedies. When you use a little comedy, you, uh, you add in levity, you lower the guard of the audience and the audience can get in further. It, it's like a, it's a way for the audience to absorb the information even more by allowing us to lighten up a little, get a little loose, laugh a little, and then pull us in. Very well put. So yeah, that is uh, pretty much Bushido Man in a nutshell. Highly recommend it. Uh, phenomenal fight sequences. And as you said, you get a total of like what would be like straight up actual fight sequences. We have one, two, three, four, five, and then the finale six, but then you also, and then, well, technically the arm blast girl has her own fight scene, so that's seven. Uh, we won't count the Billy the Kid one. Uh, oh, and take away the nunchuck one because that's not an actual fight, so six. There's six super solid long form fight scenes throughout this movie. Uh, so you get tons of martial arts action, tons of uh, cool, uh, kind of uh, martial arts Eatings. philosophy and, and yes. awesome food. So really yeah. good food. Can't recommend it enough. This is a great Saturday, like lazy. This isn't necessarily the one where it'd be like, all right, let's seriously, like you don't have to watch it in your home theater. I mean, you could, you know, you don't have to like make it, you know, have all the, the mood, right. And the lighting and everything. This is just kind of a great lazy day watch. You won't be disappointed. It's a lot of fun. This would be a good one to watch with friends, like make a drinking game out of it or take it hundred percent seriously and just watch it. You can approach this film from so many different ways, but you def it definitely deserves a watch. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it is a film that hasn't been on a comfort film list yet, but uh, like I said, like we said before, we've watched it now three or four times in preparation for an episode, and it's it's falling into that comfort zone. It definitely is. And I, I think when we finally take that trip to Japan together, I want to wear Toramaru's outfit all throughout. Oh Japan. yes, the the yeah. camouf what, what? the camouflage gi. Well, not even, it's not camouflage all the time. I like more of the dark colored one. Well, yeah, the dark it, colored one's the better one, what, but the camouflage we, one is great. Right, yeah. What, uh, <laughs> what, what did the kanji say? Did you happen to get to read it uh, on his uh, gi? You know, I didn't, I read it, but I didn't like, I didn't think to take notes. 
No worries, no problem. It, Maybe uh, we'll make a note of that later. But anywho, absolutely. Uh, do you have something for Language Corner today? I do. So we talked about Bushido, we talk about food, we talk about philosophy. All of this comes under the umbrella of culture. Ooh. So today's word is culture. That's a good one for me to use later on too, but okay, here we go. Bunka. 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 So it's it's two bunka. yeah. Ni- Nippon bunka. Yes, Nippon bunka. Nihon bunka. Nippon so bunka. Okay. Bunka. Bunka. Well there you go. Bunka. Perfect. I like it. Bunka. Yeah, in, in manner be when hua, but oh when well, no, I guess I can't use it. But anywho, okay. Bunka. Okay, I like it. All right. All right, man, thanks. This has been fun. Yeah, absolutely. Good to see you. Adios, and I'll be seeing you in person soon. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, big things coming, people. Keep an uh, ear out and an eye out for the next uh, episode. And another ear out. Okay, bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)